1: It tame and tame and tame again.
0: Break up the music! Charge it!
2: Jeff Stelling's Soccer Saturday U turn. Kelsey Grammer is doing a football film, and my God, do you not need to watch it. Low key footballer related graffiti in UK pub toilets. England's most Englandy World Cup draw possible. How official tournament match ball rhetoric ground to a creative halt. And some incredible entries into the pantheon of tenuous reasons to boo a player during a game. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Cliches. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 149 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for an unprecedented sort of second adjudication panel of the week is Charlie Eccleshare. How are you? I'm good. Alongside you is David Walker. How's it going? Yeah, very well. Um, Alarming thing to bring you straight away. Charlie, this is perhaps for you. Wesley Metcalf writes in and says, I hate to say it, but I think I've spotted a howler on Football Clichés. You were talking about having two goalkeepers to save free kicks from your Gareth Bales of this world. I think it was Charlie suggesting that the dead ball specialist might attempt to dissect the goalkeepers. Now, I don't know how the Welshman did in his biology GCSEs, but I do hope he's not planning on performing surgery on the hapless shot stoppers. I hope that Bale was actually, in uh, in fact, aiming to bisect them and place it perfectly between the pair. I guess we have set ourselves up for this sort of Mm. level of pedantry. Pedantry recognises pedantry, Charlie. How do you respond?
3: Yeah, I mean... Fair enough, given that that is what, you know, I do twice a week is pick holes at people, things ever ever so slightly wrong. All I would say, <laughs> Come on. well, I feel like it sort of entered the football vernacular, you, you talk about dissecting a through ball that dissects a defence, and I'm sure that's also wrong, but has sort of become acceptable and I kind of feel that's how language evolves that things that don't actually mean what they're used to but we know what they mean sort of thing.
2: Absolutely right. I I told this to Wesley Metcalf myself, Dave. I said, you know, he's literally correct. That's what bisect and dissect mean, of course. But um, I I, I agree with Charlie. Dissecting the defence has become the dominant version over bisect. I've never heard anyone use bisect. I did a Google search dissect trumps trounces bisect by by a magnitude of like 10 to 1 there's there's no argument here
1: i wonder why that is you're completely right i don't i don't think i've ever said bisect yeah that in my was really life. weird
2: yeah. Well, dissect, there's more layers to it. I mean, bisect yeah. simply means to, to split something in, in two. But dissects, a uh, through-ball dissecting events uh, suggests it, it's way more surgical, uh, inflicts way more damage. So I'm kind of, I'm happy with that.
3: But Dave's, yeah, Dave, that is a really good question. I wonder if it was almost that someone, it was, a, you know, David Coleman or someone said it incorrectly and it just entered the footballing lexicon and be- became accepted at a time before you had dickheads on podcasts analysing what commentators said to the end of the degree.
2: Motson definitely said dissected the defence in a very, very, well, semi-famous goal. And it's on one of the videos I always used to watch, but I just didn't have time to go and find it. I will find it. And, I will, and, and that, to me, will, will prove it even more. Uh, on a similar theme, Dave, we talk about teams being decimated by injury. Now, of yeah. course, the original meaning of decimated is one in 10 being destroyed. Mm. But it's fine now. It yeah, just means that... <laughs> three or four players out of the picture all yeah. of a sudden
1: uh, I mean that the original u- usage of that wouldn't work at all
2: <laughs> for, rubbish, for an injury it? crisis we've got a couple <laughs> of players out we're decimated
3: yeah. we're missing one outfielder mm. of our starting lineup. We're we're quite literally decimated
2: yeah well nice try Wesley Metcalf but you're going to have to do better than that let's start the adjudication panel the second adjudication panel of this week on safer ground shall we uh, Matt Phillips writes in he says he's doing a bit of housework took a rest Watch times under the hammer, and here's what happened. But what's that, I
3: see? So um, (laughs) we went away to Dubai for New Year's, and um, at the top of the tallest tower in the world, uh, I popped the question. So I got down on one knee, and yeah, for my sins, she said yes.
2: (laughs) 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 It could be part of the wider For My Sins universe, Charlie, because it's kind of, oh, she's made an honest man of me, etc., it kind of fits the vibe yeah
3: yeah i mean i'm trying to work out if it does actually make sense in relation to that actual expression it's a because i don't know if he's trying to be if he's trying to be false <laughs> just to try and really psychoanalyze this poor bloke yeah i don't know if he's doing that kind of false modesty humble brag thing of like you know uh don't know what she's doing with me, you know, my better yeah, half. I guess
2: so. Is it that kind of thing? Yeah. It can only be. I mean, what else could it be? Well, unless I, he's... I'm already married, actually. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. unless he's implying he's a kind of long-suffering boyfriend and that he's going to be punished for his sins. <laughs> for, with, you know, in the way that a lifetime supporting Carlisle, his sin is... His punishment is, is uh, yeah. being married to this woman. She's in the doldrums. She has been for some time, yeah.
1: Because it's marriage... You know, obviously there is the sort of <laughs> there is that sort of religious link to the whole thing, and there's, a, there's an element of the. Um, if anyone here knows any good reason why these two shouldn't be wed, yeah, yeah, All, um, little so yeah, they could, they, yeah, yeah, there could actually be some sins mm. that, are, yeah, but... that that need to be overlooked. Actually, funnily enough,
2: now I think about it, <laughs> um, I mean, without getting too deep on this. Uh, before that, before they mentioned that, they, they clarified that they do have a child, nine months old. So they had a child out of wedlock. Oh, so they so, have been living in since. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Quite there sin are, sin there sin. are layers to this. There you go. But yeah, pretty good stuff from Homes Under the Hammer. Thank you, Matt Phillips. Uh, next up, the shock news this week, Dave, that Jeff Stelling has performed a dramatic mm. U-turn, as Football Parlance uh, obliges us to describe it. And will continue to host Soccer Saturday for the 2022-23 season at the very least. I feel like underwhelmed by this news. I feel like there's there's something quite underwhelming that's gone on behind the scenes here to make this happen
1: it's a little bit like when Aurelio Gomez retired um yeah a few seasons ago and Watford all the Watford fans gave him a grand send-off in the mm. FA Cup final and then signed a new contract and was back the next season it's exactly the same in fact. it is
2: the same it is very much the same <laughs> Charlie I feel quite happy that I didn't go too big on the on the Stelling Tributes now because uh um looks like we're gonna have to do it all over again in at least another couple of years
3: Is is this, would this qualify in the Maisie Adam um, pantheon of doing a bunty?
2: Doing a a bunty. It's the ultimate
3: bunty. Maisie
2: Adam herself has confirmed that it is indeed a cast iron bunty.
3: Good. Um, (laughs) The the weirdest thing about this is that Adam and I, and you will not believe that this is true, absolutely true, uh, we were literally having a conversation in the office on Monday about who would be the Sterling successor, by the time we finished that conversation, I went onto Twitter and it was confirmed that Stelling would in fact be the Stelling successor.
2: Mm. It's very strange. Incredible. It incredible. What's
3: going to be the opening gag on the?
1: <sighs> because uh, he'll be back. He'll be back in the seat, won't he, on Saturday after mm. the international break? We'll I definitely get- have to. have to reference it, won't he? They give him a standing ovation again, aren't they?
3: Could they even back. Could they even do a like cut to one of the other reporters and been like, you know, there's been a contract extension, but which way is it gone or something oh, like that? Something- <laughs> could
2: be. I can see it happening. Thoughts, though, Charlie, with Julian Warren at this tough time. I wonder if there was any stage you thought, here we go, gearing up for it. Or this Brace Girdle. Time.
3: Do you reckon Brace Girdle was in the mix?
2: Interesting emphasis on that name. Why are you saying it like that? <laughs> yeah.
3: How should it be said? Brace Girdle, like Brace <laughs> is
2: his first name. Yeah. it's
3: yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave's his first name. No, no.
1: There's been a goal at Deepdale, Brace <laughs> Girdle. I know. It works.
3: <laughs> Brace Girdle. No, I know this is him. How should it be pronounced?
1: Brace, Brace girdle. girdle.
3: Brace Girdle. Brace this girdle. is like, I say um, kitchen towel in a weird way. Oh. I get the emphasis all wrong. Oh, well, um, your future participation on this podcast is Bra- very much up in the air now. They-
1: but, de- but no, Dave Bracegirdle, fine reporter though he is, was never in the mix to no. be the successor. You need to
2: have a face. You need to have yeah. an actual okay. human face yeah. to present Soccer Saturday. And as far as I'm concerned, none of the roving reporters have one. Is, but, is um, Brace yeah. still on Soccer Saturday?
1: Surely. he's still in the mix, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. You, you, never you leave.
2: Imagine, never leave. You're in Chenzo's. You're Bryn Laws. Your brace girdles. Brindle. Your brace girdles. Yeah. Still around. Girdle. Dave Brindlaw. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that turns out to be his name. <laughs> Sensational stuff. Now, we were speaking the other day, Dave, about uh, potential candidates for a pure Masters football six-a-side lineup. A couple of the names that came up: Lee Hendry as our industrious midfielder, Jermaine Pennant perhaps as our kind of pull-something out of the bag, out of nowhere crowd pleaser. Well, news reaches me that this summer, at Derby's Pride Park, or whatever it's called now, a special event, an 11-a-side tournament, IPL Soccer 2022, fronted, not massively surprisingly, by this man.
1: Taking place in 2022, we aim to introduce more Asian players to showcase their talents to the world. 7% of the UK's population are from South Asian backgrounds. That's about 3.5 million people. Let us help change that now. Four teams competing at the televised IPL Soccer Tournament 2022 are London Warriors, Leicester Galacticos, Derby Crusaders, Birmingham Challengers. Further announcements to follow. I look forward to seeing you all very soon.
2: So this is this is IPL soccer taking place this summer. Each of the what are styled as franchises for IPL soccer have um, kind of a marquee player to kind of front it all up. Let me take you through it, Dave. First of all, Birmingham Challengers. Their man is Gabby Agbon Lahore. I mean, who couldn't have been couldn't have been better? Who else?
1: Yeah, yeah. Playing for Villa legend playing for a team named Birmingham though. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Could be
2: problematic. Charlie Derby Crusaders. They are indeed fronted by Lee Hendry. Ah.
3: He's
2: he's gonna come. He's he's gonna get around on a 11 side pitch. No issue there.
3: Did he want the Birmingham gig? I wonder. <laughs> and they had Stop. to to sort of compromise. Yeah. yeah, he
1: should be playing for the challengers, shouldn't he? Really?
2: Yeah, Derby Crusaders presumably the favourites on their home ground. Next up, Dave. The Leicester Galacticos. Not keen on the name. Have to say. Their man is Emil Heskey. Okay, yeah, there we go. That makes sense. It's all about who his foil is, I, I fear, up front. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the out-of-town outsiders, perhaps. Charlie, the London Warriors. Their man, Jermaine Pennant.
3: Oh, wow. What an event this is. That's brilliant. I'm so pleased that Hendry and those guys are involved, that we trailed.
1: Yeah. I... Uh, so Michael Owen not playing, then? Just the, um, is he just an ambassador?
2: Yeah, I get the sense he's not. He's not playing unless he's and, some sort of roving man who can play for anybody at any stage. Yeah, but I think okay. his playing days might be over. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just just the cross section of um, available spearheading footballers there. There's a
1: there's a. I feel like they ooze talk sport, Dave. I'm not sure about Hendry, but the other three have
2: so certainly must been have on,
1: hasn't he? He probably yeah. has been on. He'll have been on at some point. But I think the other three have had spells actually, like being co presenters. Mm. Yeah, no doubt about it. Good, good.
2: Look forward to that. Um, next up. A question from listener Michael McDonnell, which I really really fascinated by this. He says, what's the difference, Dave, between the ball hitting the post and coming off the frame of the goal in commentary? He says, I think the latter is only used when it's something like a looping header from a set piece. The ball has to be coming down from a height above the bar, maybe. OK, let's let's tackle this first. Coming off the frame of the goal is a more incidental thing. It's not a shot, is it? It's it's like a ball that sort of spins around and then just yeah. happens to hit the goal frame.
1: Exactly, yeah. It could, like, yeah, let's say you've had a shot, the keeper sort of saved it. It's sort of bounced off him, hits the post, comes back into the, into the mix. Whereas hitting the post is just a you know a pure strike. Yeah,
2: too right. Yeah. I mean, any any act of ball hitting woodwork, Charlie, elicits a gasp from the crowd. Uh, even when it's like the loopiest of looping headers,
3: you know it's going to hit the bar,
2: and it definitely won't go in. It's still like, oh, oh, oh yeah,
0: goodness,
3: it's hit the bar. Bloody hell! It's it's proper. Um, mm. There's a jeopardy to it. Yeah. E- even if even if it is one that yeah, you, the, the keeper has it covered. Mm. But I mean, yeah, not something anyone
2: else would pick up on. But uh, Michael <sighs> McDonnell has coming off the frame of the goal. He's, he, as he quite rightly points out, is more of an incidental thing. But he goes on to ask Charlie, where does the upright come mm. in? And that's is a bit more of a grey area to me. Hitting the upright, I don't know. Is it where does the upright get used? Well, well, you might. Just a second I guess mention thing.
3: Well, yeah, possibly second mention also as a collective. Like it. Oh well, no, then no, sorry, then you'd say woodwork, wouldn't you? I was just thinking if you fit the post and bar in a game. Oh no, the upright is just the post. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 it is.
1: Um, yeah, the yeah. I just think it's it's just a variation, isn't it? Okay mm-hmm. Very, very occasionally used. I like
2: upright though. I feel like mm. I don't use it, but I'm going to start. There's nothing wrong with upright. Mm. The crossbar needs a, the crossbar needs a bit of elegant variation. What's we haven't got anything else for crossbar? No. The horizontal. I guess. Would you just move on to woodwork? I suppose you would, I feel yeah. like
3: woodwork is still more posty. Yeah, or or I think of them as both. Struck um, the woodwork.
2: I'd say it's it's 60-40 post. But maybe there just happens more, though.
3: Cannoned off the... uh,
2: Yeah, cannoned. Moving swiftly on from that, I'm going to stun you both now. Because I wrote a piece, funnily enough, uh, on the weekend, about how um, the film industry has really struggled with football and how to portray it, especially in its technical nuts and bolts. And how really it's never really quite got to grips with it. And why that is the case. I spoke to some choreographers... Spoke to people who produce these things and, and they were quite candid about how they think it does and doesn't work in various respects. So it's my, I've got a keen eye now for what I think is a bad football film, but I think we may have found the worst of all because in 2022, forthcoming, Kelsey Grammer is doing a soccer movie. Oh, wow. The film is called High Expectations and it's in selected US cinemas next Thursday for one night only. What? Here... <laughs> Here are the essential highlights from the trailer. Uh. Uh, the, the plot could not be more pathetically predictable.
0: How come you never believed in me? What? You knew that it was my dream always just to play soccer. It'll we'll play for you, father and son. It certainly will be interesting to see how it affects the team. And remember, he's coaching one son against
3: his other son. It's going to be much more than a regular game.
0: I don't want things to go on like this. Well, probably should have thought about that a long time ago. Jack! It's the cops! Run! What? I'm not here as a coach. I'm here as a father.
3: Oh, <laughs> High expectations. Out next week. Kelsey, what are you doing? I, I always thought growing up while watching Frasier and also watching Monday Night Football religiously that uh, Kelsey Grammer and Andy Gray looked quite alike. I suppose they so do. so <laughs> it feels fitting in a way that he, Grammer is finally getting involved in the footballing game.
2: He uh, Davy does of course play a coach. Mm-hmm. Right, he's he is of that vintage now um uh, he, you can tell he plays the coach in the trailer because he wears a flat cap on the touchline yeah, i <laughs> know yeah hint of scottish manager about him he's not scottish i i, I should add um he's not doing a robert duval in a shot at glory elsewhere in the trailer i tweeted this clip out on on wednesday afternoon um there is a passage of play that is just so shit. And like there's a, <laughs> there's a random corner flag stuck in the background behind the goal. They don't know what they're doing. In fact, I don't think the goal's even there. They've got no clue. And the lead player, actor, is sort of, sort of stumbling towards the six-yard box being jockeyed, half-heartedly by someone else. I hate it. I hate it so much.
1: It's a disgrace, <laughs> isn't it? And as well as your piece, um, Nick Miller did a piece about um, Mike Bassett and all yeah. history of of Mike Bassett, England manager and you know Andy Anser was spoken to for that piece and he was detailing about how he set it all up and he would have brought in semi-pro players to like choreograph it all and made sure that the actors, they made sure that the actors they cast for the for the key football playing parts could, could have had some degree of footballing ability about them and it's it's not hard to do. Does this happen with other sports? Do they disrespect Much, yeah. sports in in, the, in this way? Yes. I suppose yeah.
2: they do, don't they? I Other sports there's... are dealt with very badly as well. Yeah. yeah. I imagine there's the same level of ignorance. Uh, you know, I think the, the level of ignorance is consistent across all sports, but it's, I would say football is probably slightly harder to get on average. Technically, right, because you've got so many moving parts. I think... Like maybe baseball would be quite easy because like it's just a, it's just a set passage of play for about three or four seconds and
3: then you reset. Whereas football is a continuous thing. I that is true. That is true. I mean, I remember like the uh, Matt, da- Matt Damon film Invictus, which was about um, Nelson Mandela and the South African rugby team '95 was appalling. I mean, like so, some of the footage was just. Uh, bizarre. I spoke to
2: the choreographer for that film, and I didn't mention it. She did She did <laughs> oh. so
3: many films in so many different sports. Basketball, baseball,
2: rugby. And then she also choreographed, or was hired to choreograph the football scene, and I think we've spoken about this before, at the start of the film Tomorrow, the Tomorrow War.
1: Oh, yeah, The Tomorrow War. So where I've, done the brace, aliens... I've done a brace girdle. <laughs> brace girdle. Um, <laughs> where the aliens land on the pitch.
2: Yeah, where the, where the soldiers from the future land yeah, on the yeah, 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 pitch yeah. in the middle of the World Cup final in Qatar. And uh, I... <laughs> and it's, it's an absurd football scene but um, um, she said that yeah uh, the whole thing was absolutely ridiculous and the director wanted to put in a bicycle kick in the middle of the opposition penalty <laughs> area and things like that and she said this is not how it works but she went along with it because it was already very very silly there, perhaps one explanation for the slightly wooden football passages of play in this Kelsey Grammar vehicle high expectations is that the soccer technical supervisor Dave is a former FIFA referee what do they know <laughs> <laughs>
1: Rubbish. Which Never one? played the game! <laughs> the other thing is that doesn't Kelsey Grammer have a some sort of tenuous link to Bristol Rovers?
2: Yes, he does. Yes, he does.
1: could have he at least does. set it there.
2: Kelsey Grammer's fourth and latest wife is the daughter of former Darlington, Bristol City and Besiktas striker Alan Walsh. He's actually older than him. That can't be fun. <laughs> <laughs> He's a year older than him.
3: That's an amazing link.
2: Um, so... Uh, being the intrepid journalist that I am, I went straight to Alan Walsh's Wikipedia page, Charlie, and this is a paragraph I read. During his time at Bristol City, he became renowned as an early exponent of the step-over football skill, colloquially known as the Walshy Shuffle, <laughs> later to be popularised by players such as Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. Later
0: to be popularised.
2: <laughs> Next up. The only, the only the sort of question that a podcast like this could answer. I really enjoyed this. John NUFC writes in, Dave, and says, What warrants a club to be dubbed a new-look side? Example, when Newcastle played Villa earlier this season, Sky introduced it as Stephen Gerrard's Villa, travelled to Eddie Howe's new-look Newcastle. This, despite Villa having the same amount of signing starting as Newcastle. I, now, I'm, having seen it, I'm fascinated by the, uh, the prefix new-look. Well, what does it mean? Is it, is it just, a, you know, a clutch of new players being introduced or is it I,
1: more than this? I think it's got to have, it's got to come pretty quickly after a transfer window or during a transfer window where a number of players have signed, they've all got to play, you know, maybe, maybe even making their debuts on the same day or all playing in the same time. And and there needs to be sort of a high profile element to it, I suppose, because it was, it was sort of, there's a narrative behind that, wasn't there? We were all, Everyone was expecting Newcastle to sign lots of players. Eddie Howe himself was kind of part of the new look. But I, but I suppose Villa's situation was similar, but it just, they kind of went a little bit more under the radar, didn't they?
2: So it was a more publicised set of transfers, you think? Mm, yeah. yeah. Charlie, it's it's kind of a weird example of a phrase that just, just gets used very
3: absentmindedly, I think. But I do feel like we do need to pin it down. New look. Yeah, yeah New, I, I think that is... Pretty spot on from Dave. I mean, I don't think... It's it's probably more that this person wasn't aware, necessarily, of Villa having made them because they weren't. But I don't think that should rule them out uh, of being new look. Like, it explains why Newcastle was so obviously a new look side. It's also because they had... Their previous look was very well
1: established.
3: Right. Yeah, be. It'd been the same for a long, long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. a good shout.
2: I, but I, I don't want this to become some sort of vibe. I, I need a threshold here. Dave, how many signings? I think three minimum. I was going to say three. It has to be, because mm, yeah, it needs to be
3: knocking on for a third of the team. Possibly yeah, even I, the spine, if possible.
2: Yeah,
1: I think possibly
3: even f- four. Mm. But four's a can, lot. Four's rare that you're going to have four starters. You could so at the start, look of though, start of a season. I think you could yeah. very, easily,
1: very easily have like eight new signings starting for a team in August.
2: Mm. Yeah, new look is definitely a transfers thing, because much changed is... is, is Clear cut situation. It's just yeah. they made mm. loads of made loads of changes since their last game. Yeah. It's like a yeah, really yeah. boring cousin of
3: new look. Um, I mean, a new manager is probably important as well, isn't it? Mm.
2: Um, yeah, yeah you guess... couldn't have the
3: same manager with a new look team. No way. Oh, I think you could. Oh, like, oh, really? I think you, you could, could. Yeah,
1: wouldn't mention the manager, maybe.
3: Or you might say Sean Dyche's new look Burnley. If, if let's say, the previous summer Burnley <laughs> finally, having had the same team forever suddenly have four or five new exciting players. I think you could say Sean Deich is New Look Burnley. Because then you're getting across the fact that he remains the same, but his team is New Look.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The more we've said the phrase, the more ridiculous (laughs) it sounds. It's absolutely amazing. I love it when this happens. Uh, Moving on, friend of the show, Will Unwin, was in a uh, pub in Manchester the other day, went to the toilet and on the wall scrawled, Dean Marnie! (laughs) mark. (laughs) <laughs> it, I think the exclamation mark is crucial here because it makes it sound like a Peter Drury commentary on a Premier League goal of the day video tweet from 2007. <laughs> Dean Marnie! as is the custom for this sort of thing, Dave, someone has with a slightly different pen added to the conversation. Is shit?
1: No, no. With
2: an arrow <laughs> written above Blackburn legend.
1: Ah, oh, okay. Ah, I was expecting. Blackburn. I was expecting it to be defaced.
2: No. No, it, it certainly, yeah, didn't go. it didn't go in the opposite direction, sort of sentiment-wise. But I, I didn't know he played for Blackburn. Um, he didn't. He didn't. So is this ironic because he played for Burnley? So it's some Blackburn. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. there we go.
3: So this, it is banter.
2: just thickens and thickens, doesn't it? It certainly does. We asked our listeners for similarly low-key footballers immortalised in graffiti. This was from Ross FJ. He says, I once saw John Harley's name graffitied on a school wall. (laughs) (laughs) That implies, Charlie, that it was John Harley's school and someone sort of wrote their name on while he was there or he wrote it on himself. That's what it kind of implies to me.
3: I can imagine you would have done that. John Harley would have been fully in your sweet spot.
1: Yeah, and graffiti takes a lot more effort than dribbling something in a toilet. But as I'm saying this, I'm just sort of thinking to myself, in what circumstances do you have a Sharpie in the toilet and write a, write anything on the wall? Well, who's writing on the walls of toilets?
2: It's a very good point. I mean, how many people are just sort of by routine carrying a Sharpie around? But then maybe
3: if you were thinking about doing it, you would. Or well, things, people at school would write things with a compass sometimes, wouldn't they? Mm sort of uh, yeah. engraved John Harley's name. Yeah, there was
2: something slightly unhinged about using a compass. Today. No, it did feel
3: <laughs> it felt a bit violent. <laughs> yeah, school
1: shooter,
2: the early beginnings.
1: It's a close cousin of like the stickers. You often see like stickers <laughs> yeah. in toilets, don't you? Away day stickers. Tube escalators. Yeah. Like yes. trying
2: to get you to download something. Like, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Just on the basis of your sticker on the tube down to Oxford Circus. It's not going to happen. Um, But yeah. Anybody else got any low-key footballers immortalising graffiti, do send them in. We uh, talked on uh, Tuesday about unexpected commentator accents in far-flung World Cup qualifiers, of course. Let's remind ourselves of the uh, clip from Solomon Islands versus Papua New Guinea, please.
0: Calu now over the top four, Solomon Islands, looking to use the pace of Lei Lei Lehigh, bursting through Lehigh, can he finish? Oh, he got
1: to the near post, he's done it! 3-1 Solomon
3: Islands!
2: Well, I found out who it was. My Doha sources, Charlie, have told me. For your reference, Adam, the voice for that Oceanian qualifier in Doha was none other than ex-Sunderland man Chris Makin. Oh, right. wow. Both he and Nicky Summerbee are commentating on those games for the host broadcaster. What an absolutely baffling choice. No disrespect whatsoever to either of them, but what are they doing and why? Yeah, but why are they commentators? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Fine, either of them... Turn up in a CoCom seat and that wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't bat an eyelid. Very surprising. You don't, you don't, you, I don't, I can't think of any former professionals who are actual yeah. lead commentators. It's incredible.
2: I think they both work for a broadcaster in that part of the world. So they are there mm-hmm. sort of semi-permanently. So they were obviously sort of drafted in for this game. Yeah. But um, Chris Makin, once of Sunderland, commentating on Solomon
0: Islands versus Papua New Guinea. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, look at that!
3: That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is football cliches.
2: Another random question from the listener, Conno 93 Charlie, what boxes need to be ticked for a team to be accused of paying the opposition too much respect? I
3: feel like it was
2: standing off in possession.
3: Yeah, not making enough tackles, not getting close to them. Letting them play on the halfway line. You know what that often is as well? Is that it will be that you conceded a couple of early goals and then actually, once you stop paying too much respect... You you got back into the game and you held your own and you know you just wish we hadn't shown we shown them a bit too much respect earlier. You still lose two 0 and it's probably mainly because the the opposition slacked off. But there's that regret that we I
0: just feel I've just said to
3: that I just felt we paid them a little bit too much respect. Yeah, I think you got I think you got the vibe right. But Dave, there's
2: obviously a certain caliber of team that qualifies to be paid too much respect. I imagine can you ever imagine this happening at Sunday League? <laughs> <laughs> we've paid them too much respect so maybe it could happen in a cup if you like division three in their premier
3: I, I think that is exactly the sort of self-important ridiculous thing uh, a team would say about themselves. <laughs> yeah
1: is... and it would probably be more applicable because there's no real dif- there's not. There's often not that much difference between you know teams four leagues apart at Sunday league level don't pay them that much respect just, just you know, give it, don't it a pay bash
2: them too much respect I, maybe
1: I think there has been a variant of this
3: yeah. I, I can definitely imagine that they ain't that good lads
1: I was wondering whether there is another sort of example of this in, in different circumstances. It's almost, it's almost the opposite. So it's a good team. So I'm thinking like England playing in a qualifier, struggling to beat somebody who they're perceived to be much better than. And, you know, your Roy Keynes or someone at halftime is saying, why are they playing two defensive midfielders? Oh, they're playing yeah. this team too much respect. Mm. They, need to, they don't need to do that.
2: <laughs> Actually... I think that might be the biggest tactical bugbear of the, of the proper football man, Charlie, is the playing two defensive midfielders yeah. when they don't think you have to. Uh, managers clearly hate that as well, because there's a football reason for it. Shut up. Speaking of England, safely through, of course, to the World Cup, unlike some other teams. The World Cup draw is upon us Friday, 5pm. Teams will learn their fate for Qatar 2022. Dave, we're at a very precise point of the World Cup narrative cycle. Because it's not near enough for us really to to start to look ahead. And of course, we don't have the full complement of teams yet. Still a few qualification matters to be decided. But so at this stage, we can start to lament the teams and players who will be missing out on the World Cup in 2022. Colombia, Chile, Nigeria, Egypt, Ivory Coast, Italy, all missing out on the tournament, so I feel like we're close to having the inevitable won't be at the World Cup eleven. I find this slightly annoying, Dave, to be honest. Because it seems we sort of reset our brains every two years for major tournaments mm. and seem to care on a personal level who isn't <laughs> playing at the tournament.
1: Doesn't matter. Really annoys me. What's your biggest bugbear with it all?
2: Okay, well I mean I can I can sympathize with the idea that, you know, if certain countries don't make it to a tournament, Italy being a prime example, you might think that the furniture for a World Cup is incomplete. You know, yeah. you need an Italy there for it to be the World Cup experience that you've known The tournament loved.
1: will miss them.
2: Yeah, it won't be the. It won't. Ha- what is a World Cup without Italy? Et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that can be applied to individual players because the World Cup is bigger than that. So let me give you a list of players that have been so far cited as players that might potentially ruin the World Cup by not being there: Jorginho, Mohamed Salah, <laughs> Erling Haaland, Riyad Mahrez, Luis Diaz of Colombia and 41 years old in October, Zlatan Ibrahimović. None of those players, even arguably the best player in the world right now, Mohamed Salah, are not going to impinge on the, in anybody's enjoyment of the World Cup outside of those countries.
1: Yeah, no, you are totally right. I, I, I saw Salah play for Egypt against Russia in the 2018 World Cup and he did all right. Egypt didn't get out of the group and it's it's the same thing I remember seeing Zlatan play actually I was I was in Euro 2016 I was there for Sweden against Belgium and Zlatan mm. was terrible they just kept lumping it up to Zlatan and it was ridiculous they, they were rubbish yeah. and it's completely right like one play, individual players they don't make a difference to people's enjoyment it's they have to be part of a good team it's a shame for the nations themselves and their supporters but yeah we'll, we'll still be loving the World Cup I agree yeah,
3: there can be something quite painful about watching those teams when it is just when they're really reliant on one player and everything's geared through them, and they look a bit like they're in the playground, they've been given a really shit team. Exactly, play
2: and 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 that's you know, whilst that is a relatively extreme example of what people are talking about. Even then, you're, you're not sitting there watching. Wow, thank God Salah's here, though, eh? <laughs> it's just it wouldn't be the same without him. Am I nice sticker book? Thank God he's in there. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't work. And tellingly, Charlie, tellingly, given how mindless this is, a part of the World Cup kind of journalistic cycle. No one ever does this in retrospect. No one ever looks back at an old tournament and goes, God! <laughs> oh, how good that tournament would have been if David Platt was there. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. Italia 90, no Jean-Pierre Papin, USA 94, no Eric Cantona, France 98, no Louis Vigo. Japan-Korea 2002, no Andrei Shevchenko, Germany 2006, no Samuel Eto'o, South Africa 2010, no Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Brazil 2014, no Robert Lewandowski, Russia 2018, no Gareth Bale, doesn't matter, I enjoyed those two ones, exactly the same as I would have done, probably.
3: I think most people are agreed that the World Cup expanding is a terrible idea, but... If if we are to have a slightly smaller World Cup, which is way better, one of the mm. downsides in inverted commas is that not everyone can qualify. But that's yeah, kind but of what makes it special.
1: This proves your point, Adam, because one of the one of the reasons that this sort of expansion, never-ending expansion of tournaments, happens is because you can no doubt believe that. FIFA executives will be sitting in their rooms in their Swiss, ivory towers. Switzerland. Yeah, in their oak panelled ivory tower. Oak panelled ivory tower. Quite a fusion of architecture there. <laughs> yeah. We need the world with the we need the best players playing each other all the time. The world wants to see the best players at the tournament all the time, even if they play for Norway.
2: I for one cannot go four weeks without seeing Mohamed Salah scurry <laughs> down the right half space. Cut in and shoot. I just can't bear it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Also, let's dig into this, into the real specifics. Let's say Egypt did get to the World Cup and you're delighted that Mohamed Salah, the superstar Mohamed Salah, is going to join the party at World Cup 2022. <laughs> There's a fair chance you might catch his first two games and then his third group game will be an ITV4 simultaneously with the group... Another game that you're probably going to watch instead. So you won't even watch his third game and they probably won't go through. So there'll only be two games that you're missing, really, in the grand scheme of things. Rubbish. Waste of time. I, I want to blow this apart. It, it, it doesn't annoy me, but it annoys me enough to pretend to be angry about it on a podcast. So, of course, the World Cup draw is going to happen. England are safely in there. We know what pot they're in. We know what teams are mostly in all the other pots. So I think it's incumbent on us to scour this list and decide what is the most England World Cup group we could possibly get. England are in pot 1. Let's consult pot 2, which is the Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, Switzerland, Croatia, Uruguay, Mexico and USA probably for the last two. So Dave, who do you who would you say is the most Englandy possible opponent there?
1: Hmm. Uh well we have been in groups with Uruguay in 2014, Croatia at the Euros. USA were in their group in 2010. Uh, Denmark, we we would no, we played Denmark in the knockouts, didn't we? In 2002. Mm.
2: Don't forget, you, you might want to ration your your uh, confederations for later down. So uh, yeah, be tactical
1: here. I think we're picking the the purest essence, the purest England World Cup group. I think I'm going to go for Uruguay there. Okay. I think. Mm. South American nation. A tough, a tough task. All right. England, Uruguay, pot
2: three, Charlie. You're choosing from Senegal, Iran, Japan, Morocco, Serbia, Poland, South Korea. Canada.
3: Well, yeah, I I think one of the reasons why Uruguay is a good shout is because you want to leave the European slot for a really kind of uninspiring... European team. Yeah, 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 exactly. A really uninspiring European nation that makes you going to be like, oh, it's the World Cup, and yet here we are sort of drawing one all with... So I might... England, um, Uruguay... Serbia or Poland, sort of... It's got Poland...
1: And they beat Sweden, who would have been the natural choice if they were in Poland. That's true. Uh, Yeah, Sweden.
3: Sweden. Yeah, so they're they're doing the kind of... um, The baton uh, is past. Sweden. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That that was the the right to be the really boring team in England's group. I mean, Poland as well. Thank God Lewandowski's at the World Cup. Yeah. Because imagine if he missed the party. It'd be lesser without him, wouldn't it?
1: Can't wait for all the tipsters to tip him to be top goalscorer at the tournament. (laughs) really good value at 10 to 1
2: <laughs> right England Uruguay Poland pot 4 I get to choose from Cameroon Ecuador Saudi Arabia Ghana Scotland Ukraine or Wales Australia UAE or Peru Costa Rica New Zealand or the Solomon Islands I'm guessing
3: not the Solomon Islands we know who will be commentating on that game
2: (laughs) (laughs) over to Chris Macon you know a thing or two about
3: the Solomon Islands okay so um, maybe he is playing a real long game Chris Macon he's like wait when Solomon Islands are a footballing powerhouse England Uruguay
2: Poland I'm gonna go with Ghana that strikes me as the least original possible World Cup group for England
1: well we had Nigeria in 2002 yeah um, so we had Algeria in 2010. It's it's a sparky set of
2: teams throughout anyway, so, so mm. it, it, it'd be hard to truly pick a, a dreadful or sort of tedious, uninspiring group. Um, but let's do the flip side of this now. Let's pick a really exciting group for England, one that will one that really get our juices flowing in a historical mm. sense, because we, either we've never played them before or it just looks nice in totality. Yeah. England, pot one, pot two.
3: Can you Europe? imagine having Germany in the group? Germany or, or Netherlands would be... We had them in Euro 2000, didn't we? We did, and that, we did. W- which we won and still went out. I think it has to be
1: Germany. Like, you just have to be Germany. Like, that would just get the tabloids especially just salivating, salivating like over it. Germany are the tap-in for the for the front pages of the tabs. But yeah. I think Mexico,
2: <laughs> there's potential there for there to be some really, really surface-level fun for them there. So, I, I fear. So, yeah, Germany or Mexico. Let's go with Germany indeed. Pot three, Charlie Litt, to remind you, Senegal, Iran, Japan, Morocco. Serbia, Poland, South Korea, Canada.
3: Canada. Canada would be fun. I think Japan as well would be quite interesting. Do feel like we've often had, if ever had, East Asian teams uh, in our group.
1: Well, South Korea being probably slightly more of a challenge than Japan in a footballing sense. Mm. Yeah, yes. Kane and, and
2: Son, of course. Son, Kane, and Son. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah maybe that. But these tidy
2: it. narratives is not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for proper. Unprecedented. We don't know what we're doing here. We've never faced well. This then team Canada. Before.
3: I mean, Canada, the fact they've only been in well, one other I, World Cup, England, yeah, Germany, I, Canada feels a bit under 19s, rugby sevens to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think South Korea.
1: I think South Korea is really is like that. That's different. You're, you're, you're in group of death territory.
2: Blimey, England, there, Germany, think. South Korea. Yeah, so pot four. So we can have a South American team or an African team. I think Cameroon, Cameroon. Bit of history there, mm. Peru, England, Germany, South Korea, Peru. That would be a lot
1: of fun, but I think Cameroon, I think Cameroon because they are
2: England, they're... Germany, South Korea, Cameroon. That is a cool group, actually. Yeah, we've got the right balance between history and narrative and uh, the ability to write retrospectives about it and mm. a kind of a novelty about it. So, okay. That's good. Look forward to the draw. Should be fun. Now, of course, with the World Cup draw upon us, the World Cup ball has been unveiled, Charlie. There's (laughs) really nothing to surprise you here. No. It's the Adidas al-Richla, the 14th successive ball created by Adidas for the FIFA World Cup. And I can assure you, Charlie, it travels faster in flight than any other in the tournament's history supporting high-speed and high-quality games. Now, I'm going to strongly suggest that they haven't got the ball from the 1930 World Cup and stuck it in the wind tunnel just to check. So they might be talking <laughs> out of their
3: arse straight away here, aren't they? Who cares? Do we need it to be faster? Is it faster no. than 2010, I mean, defend- which was a shambles? If anything, that feels like a, a, a negative. I mean, that, that just opens up all the usual arguments. It seems like not what you want for the ball. Going deep on the technicals
2: here, Dave, uh, the Adidas Rickler
3: boasts the CRT core.
2: Which is, forms the heart of the ball, providing speed, accuracy, and consistency for fast-paced action and precision with maximal shape and air retention. Good, good, good. That, yep. that it keeps the air in,
1: as well as rebound accuracy. What? Who's ever called for that? Rebounds off what? Off players, the off upright. the upright, off the upright.
2: The upright, like rebound
1: accuracy. What as Which ball is rebound inaccurate? I can't think. It's, that's physics. The ball will always go where it's supposed to go. No one has ever
2: bemoaned the angle of which a ball has rebounded off anything, ever. Um, elsewhere in ball language, Charlie, the Adidas Auricula has a speed shell, which is a textured PU skin with a new 20-piece panel shape, improving the accuracy, flight stability and swerve, thanks to macro and micro textures,
3: plus... Surface debossing.
2: (laughs) Surface debossing.
3: But You do wonder, given how huge a brand Adidas is, I just can't believe it's going to be picked up, this is going to be picked up and this language used by outlets that are going to give them much more of a platform they already have.
2: It's just, I think the whole thing is so tired, Dave. I mean, let's round this off with, uh, of course, the name itself, al Rikla means the journey in Arabic and is inspired by the culture, architecture Iconic boats and flag of Qatar. I was
3: gonna say can't, uh, where, How long is it iconic? Oh,
2: it? it's just so. Um, uh, genuinely, I do feel like the whole, boats. the whole spiel around World Cup balls has completely ground to a halt. There is nothing left. It's I been the think, same for a good twenty years.
1: I think the people doing this are just having a laugh. Mm. Mm. It's not. I think they're in it? on the joke. Yeah. I think they must be. They're getting yeah. paid loads of money. To come up with this stuff for Adidas, and they're like, "Come on, why don't
3: we just chuck in a bit of surface debossing? yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: macro and micro
3: textures, both. especially." Yeah. As a lot of publications <laughs> are either not going to write this under any circumstances, or whatever Garth Adidas come up with will run it. So one of, your of these, boots. it's one of those rare
2: situations, Charlie, where the the subject matter is is tedious, and even taking the piss of out, out of it becomes tedious. So we're mm. falling into a meta trap here. Yeah, and a micro-trap. It's, it's,
3: uh, it's a bit like sort of transfer <laughs> deadline day yeah, discourse, exactly. isn't it? Like yeah. it? Even the taking oh, the piss out of it just became, what are we doing? It? Yeah, it's such yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's People not, care more about transfers than the games.
1: <laughs> it, it reminds me of a, a friend of mine. I, I, was, I was telling you about this recently, Adam. A friend of mine who used to work for a uh, a popular global cosmetics company. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah. And he would tell me that they would have like meetings about like deodorants right and it would say like 24 hour dryness and they would (laughs) they would all they they would have to like meet uh, they'd have to meet like the standards uh, like product standards or whatever but basically like that would mean that like a bloke could stand in a room not do anything for 24 hours and still be still pass the sniff test (laughs) 24 hours later and it's like the same with this like have they it's gone like maybe one micro kilometre per hour faster than the ball last time and it's called the fastest ball ever like there's these people just working out what is the absolute minimum thing we can do to get it above a certain level
2: Uh, you're you're bang on that the the parallels between ball technology and kind of um, cosmetics really has followed the same trajectory i bought some shower gel the other day just for the just for the fun of it because it was it was xxl size 400 mils stress resist intense relaxing vine extract shower gel 100% crafted for relaxation (laughs) (laughs) it's too much it's too much intense relaxation it's not a thing it's just too much i've got some deodorant oh so relaxed really relaxed right now 72 hours of dryness (laughs) (laughs) absolutely insane i'm not being i've been abducted i'm all right (laughs) don't need it (laughs) Who needs 72 hours and it clearly doesn't work so my god yeah I, I sympathize but we really have hit a wall with all of this so uh, but yeah uh, but good to see the world cup narrative cycle is well underway ahead of november
3: Brought to your ears by the Athletic. This is football cliches.
0: Now
2: on to England themselves. We all thought this might be a fairly uneventful pair of games for the international break, but some some nuggets of interest for us. Here's Luke Shaw after Saturday's narrow winner for England over Switzerland at Wembley, being interviewed about his uh, current level of enjoyment.
3: And I think you know when I come here, it's for me, it's it's about enjoyment and you know playing games, you know with a with a smile on my face and and enjoying it. And I feel like here you know when I come here I I always do that Charlie Luke Shaw always comes across very well
2: in his views etc etc but I put it to you that a player is never allowed to declare that they themselves are playing football with a smile on their face (laughs) can't do it
1: you're not allowed. <laughs> Especially when you actually don't have a smile
2: on yeah, your face while saying
3: when, it. When you're saying it in the most serious, downbeat way. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely loving life at the moment. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, you can't. It's, he, yeah, he's playing. You can see he's playing with a smile on his face. Mm. Ever so, since joining New uh, Look yeah. Burnley. Can't have fullbacks playing with smiles on their faces, can we, Dave?
1: Oh, yeah, I think you can. I think you can. I think, I think a manager asked about any, why has uh, Matt target made such an impact at, at Newcastle? I just need I think he just needed to come in and play football with a smile on his face to be honest and he's done that yeah. Matt Target.
3: Yeah. <laughs> the oft mentioned Matt really Target.
1: He's really enjoying his football but, and you can see well, it.
2: And you can yeah, see exactly.
3: It. I think it's more about it, yeah, it's a way of demonstrating you know, he's coming, he's got a smile on his face mm. and sometimes that's all you need as a player.
2: Mm. But one to watch the rampant egos of the England team declaring that they themselves are playing football with a smile on their face. It's not all plain sailing for the England team, however, because um plenty has been written and spoken about Harry Maguire being booed at Wembley against Ivory Coast the reason for it it would seem Charlie is that Harry Maguire was booed for not playing very well for Manchester United is, is, does that seem to be the, a fairer assumption of the basis for this is it any more complicated than that no
3: I, I don't th- I think maybe a sort of his place is undeserved okay. that he's sort of oh. you know stealing a living even I think for that sort England? of thing. Wow. for England yeah oh, I think oh, okay. beca- be- because his performances have been so bad for United that he shouldn't be playing for England it's, it seems to be the rough irritation people have
2: but yeah he was once a, a cult England hero I think he could be again but it, it seemed to me Dave that the booing was on a rather tenuous basis and I, and I feel like that, that sets the early benchmark for what we're about to talk about here which is tenuous booing and I'm about to kick you off as an absolute cracker I asked our listeners for examples of tenuous booing at football matches and Ev Dokios wrote in and says the Goodison crowd once booed Sean Davis for failing a medical you <laughs> <laughs> and um it got to, it got to the point where Sean Davis was asked about this by Sky. He says <laughs> it was odd everyone booing me. Opined Davis, they wrote, "I didn't do anything wrong, and I couldn't help it that the move fell through. What with the knee being like it was, I found it funny that they were giving me stick, so I started laughing at them. <laughs> uh, booing for failing a medical, Dave. That that just feels insane to me.
1: Don't blame him. Blame the physios. They're yeah. the one that turned him down. <laughs>
2: yeah, boo the physios when they run out. Yeah." yeah. <laughs> He got to the point where the Liverpool echo Charlie wrote a whole opinion piece on this, just saying this is absolute madness. What are you doing? Um, which is um, this is back in two thousand and three, I believe. Um, but yeah, quite quite something to me. That's amazing.
3: Hmm. Uh, yeah, the suggestion maybe that he did it deliberately somehow. Yeah, he he cheated medical science. Smashed his knee in with a hammer on the way up. <laughs> yes, yeah, like feigning an injury to get out of gym.
2: Yeah. Similar examples on the way, but um, I got so deep into this particular example, I actually tried to find footage of the game or any time Sean Davis played at Goodison Park from 2003 onwards, (laughs) just to see what that that particular booing sounded like. Would it be any different to any other booing? And it got to the point where I found myself watching the entire 90 minutes. On two times no. speed of Everton versus Portsmouth in May 2007, <laughs> and they didn't boo him. By then, four years later, they'd forgotten about it and they didn't care. So that's some reassurance, uh, at least.
3: They probably um, had someone else to boo. I mean, if they're booing for that level of misdemeanor, mm. someone else would have upset them in that way. Yeah,
2: absolutely. On a similar note, I'm going to play you a clip of booing Charlie, and uh, I want you to guess who and what it was about. <laughs>
3: Well, I did see it, but there was a little clue at the end and and this could have opened up a whole um, subsection because someone says at the the end you should have signed for Arsenal. Mm. I mean, that could have, so they could have been booing a number of players. (laughs) Yes, it looked like it was uh, from the video, it was Higuain Mm. being booed, the perennially linked with Arsenal Higuain. Who
2: they just couldn't stump up the right amount of money for to sign him from Real Madrid. So Napoli signed him instead. And
1: uh, here he
2: was at the Emirates Cup in 2013 getting booed. Sensational
1: Yeah It really is good You really don't expect Booze at the Emirates Cup Do you? No It's a family event a more Exactly But a booing is
2: inherently silly If classic. anything it should be encouraged At a family, a family <laughs> event Like the Emirates Cup
3: It's true Actually it's very Family friendly booing Isn't it?
2: Yeah. Okay, next up, this starts off quite edgy, but I promise I promise, it gets sillier from there. Harry Griffin says, Peter Lovenkrantz got booed every time he touched the ball he was subbed on for Denmark against the Republic of Ireland at Lansdowne Road about 20 years ago because he played for Rangers at the time. The only problem was the Tannoy guy got the name wrong. It was teammate Peter Madsen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So it got to the point where the PA announcer had to point out his own mistake
1: no. and oh, appeal
2: God. to the fans mm. to stop booing a player who had had absolutely nothing to deserve such treatment.
1: How did he do that? I
2: can't. How? Just, <laughs> um, just co- correction, <laughs> yeah, correction, correction. <laughs> I really formalise it, absolutely. So what happened then? Uh, they started cheering Madsen and all his Danish colleagues instead every time they touched the ball to make up for it. And then Krenz came on and they booed him anyway. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> what a roller coaster that was. Um, can I improve on that? Yes, I can. Here we go. Mark Ridley writes in, Charlie, and says, In the late 1970s, Ron Futcher broke Reading captain Martin Hicks's jaw with his elbow. Whenever he turned returned to play at Elm Park, he was subsequently booed. Seems fair enough, seems pretty straightforward, pretty much straight down the line. As was his twin brother, Paul Futcher. <laughs> ben Futcher, Ron's nephew, also a pro footballer, was also booed. Bloody hell!
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean... You're just tainted by association, aren't you?
2: Further digging reveals that um, a cousin of the Futcher twins is Danny Murphy. So I wow, want to find so out if he. Danny Murphy was yeah. booed at Reading for being the cousin of the man who broke one of their players' jaws in the 1970s. Can you imagine a more tenuous boo than that?
3: Please, yeah, please try and sit through a Fulham v Reading. But uh, yeah, it's a, a wonderful selection for a very I niche mean, th- segment. There were ones who weren't. There? I mean, Aaron Ramsey used to get booed by Stoke fans having had his leg broken mm. by a Stoke player. Do we um, think though that there was there was it was more nuanced than that? They weren't booing
2: him, they were booing what he the represented. <laughs> Maybe, he, yeah. He was at the, the epicentre of what became the anti Stoke sentiment. So the they were booing of, him as a result and there was no one else to boo. You can't boo the newspapers, can you?
3: Yeah. I mean Wenger as well. I mean he was the more simple, wasn't he? You know, the rugby team and all of yeah. that stuff. But Ramsey was kind of his his lieutenant on the uh, on the pitch. Mm.
2: Finally, we mused the other day after hearing Peter Drury's darts commentary, Dave, about what it would be like if Peter Drury commentated on snooker. Well, Mm, here, from the very, very, very short-lived power snooker, 2010 to 2011, a combination of snooker and nine-ball pool...
3: Fronted by Michael Owen.
2: (laughs) Here is Peter Drury...
0: Now then the power um, play continues. The break has broken down. But uh, Luca Pressel now himself scores double Two. for everything he pots. So is in a position to take advantage of groundwork done for him by his opponent. Fourteen. Fifteen years old. If being good at snooker 16. is a sign of a misspent youth. And my word! This boy has had a misspent childhood. Barely reached youth.
3: It's understated, jury Charlie, but it is jury nonetheless. It is, although it became it with the 15 years old. Mm. But before then, it was a bit more um, explanatory than we're used to with him, Mm. rather than that kind of declamatory, you know... Because it was an event that people might not have understood, so there's a lot of... Exactly. At this
2: point, points double, and, you know, the the Reds are two. All of this, yeah. You're
3: not used to that level of exposition from Drury, because normally it's a kind of, like, we are here at Mm. Wembley, and you know what kind of the stakes. You, just, are, you so.
2: can't Drify Power Snooker by the by of the day. It only lasted <laughs> for a year and it was clearly rubbish. And yeah. I don't think he was massively into yeah. it.
1: A lot going on. But a pro, a true pro. You've got to explain what you're doing. You've got to think about the audience, and the audience would not have known what was going on.
2: I almost watched all two hours of the footage, but I
1: I just couldn't bear it. So there wasn't
2: quite any peak dreary, but uh, a solid job nonetheless. A jam-packed adjudication panel for the second time this week. Thanks to you, Dave, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks to you, Charlie. Thank you. See everyone next week. Have a good weekend.
0: The Athletic.